Welcome to another episode of Handful of Leaves and today we are very privileged to have Dr. Yoka King. Fun fact, this is our third time recording the episode because of so many technical issues and I think the very fact that Dr. Yo, you are here with us again is a testimony that you are very, very mindful as well as uh, stable and equanimous. I think this is because of your meditation practice, I suppose. Lots to learn from you today and for our guests who do not know you, even though you are a very prominent meditation teacher, could you start by sharing with us, how do you get to where you are today? Why do you start practicing mindfulness? Okay, thank you, Kai Sing, and hello, everyone. So actually, it brings back about 20, more than 20 years ago, when I was a university student. That time, I was at the age of 20 years old. I suffer from some mild depression and also sleeping issue. So I was eagerly looking for a way how to ease my monkey mind. And then I was introduced to Buddhist uh, mindfulness meditation. You can call it a Satipatthana meditation. And in my university uh, time, I know by, by actually by brother Lim Bun Cheng. I'm not sure whether it you can uh, you heard about his name he recently just got uh, elected into a member of parliament in australia he is a malaysian chinese <laughs> so but lim he brought me or introduced me to uh, vipassana vipassana meditation and this is how i get started and then i started to attend uh, many different retreats uh, in in malaysia in burma and thailand and learn from uh, different Buddhist uh, traditions. And then uh, in year 2008, I, know I went to Oxford uh, to study for my PhD in organic chemistry. And because I'm a scientist, okay, I, I'm now a university lecturer in Penang. So I study chemistry and I teach chemistry. And it's always my intention to introduce mindfulness or meditation in a more approachable way. So using a layman term, perhaps to connect it with science. So when I was in UK, in Oxford at that time, there was a very famous Oxford Mindfulness Center, you know, so I was able to like uh, attend the eight weeks uh, MBCT course, it's called Mindfulness Based Connective Therapy course. And that was my first encounter with contemporary mindfulness or sometimes we call it a secular mindfulness and uh, i very admire the way that they teach mindfulness uh, without using very complicated buddhist term and also the course is very structured and they combine actually different uh, meditation technique you can see that from the mahasi method from the goenka method like body scan you know Mahasi method will be mindfulness in daily life or walking meditation. They also have uh, some mindful stretching, like a yoga activities in the eight-week course. So, and also they bring in some uh, modern psychology concept. The MBCT course, the main purpose is actually to prevent recurrent depression. And there is many books uh, have been published on this topic. And then I, when I returned uh, to Malaysia, I thought, oh, this is quite good. Especially this is very suitable for uh, Malaysia context. And I think it's the same for Singapore as well, because uh, we have uh, multi-racial and multi-religions uh, people around. 
So I thought, oh, in this way, if we can bring mindfulness to the university, to the hospitals, and then to uh, to the kids, it would be very nice uh, without you know having the Buddhism label. So after that, I started to conduct a mindfulness course in my university for the uh, university lecturers and staff and some students as well. And this is how I started. And then slow, eventually I started to uh, offer mindfulness course, secular mindfulness course. I do not call it uh, MBCT because I'm not an MBCT certified teacher. That time I call it EQ mindfulness, how to use uh, mindfulness to develop emotional intelligence. Actually, I got this uh, idea from uh, Meng, Chak Meng Tan, <laughs> a Singaporean. Like someone passed me his book, Search Inside Yourself. And that book is, is about how to develop emotional intelligence using mindfulness. I thought that would be fantastic because this is a, uh, emotional intelligence is something that is very much needed by everyone, almost everyone. Okay, so I thought that that would be very a, a very brilliant ideas to bring this to to the public, and of course there is some request as well when people know about them. I'm running mindfulness class uh, in the U USM. Some reporter did some interview with me, so it got some attentions from the public. So therefore, I started to offer mindfulness course to the public in uh, in English and also in Mandarin. And, and eventually, I also set up a Malaysia Mindfulness Associa uh, Association. Okay, so I'm the founder and also the chairman in, with the intention to bring mindfulness uh, or to, to create the awareness you know, of mindfulness to the public. Uh, of course, this, this, what I mentioned is about secular mindfulness without using any uh, Buddhism uh, terminologies. Uh, so this is how I started and I have been doing this and also, oh, but one last thing, I eventually received the scholarship from Meng, okay, to be trained as a certified uh, teachers to teach the Search Inside Yourself or SIY program. Uh, so, uh, and also have been teaching this uh, in, uh, for a number of years in Malaysia and also China, Hong Kong and different countries. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. When you say keep it circular, it reminds me of this particular saying by, I believe, Goenka, the breath knows no religion. So regardless of whether you're a Christian, Muslim or Buddhist, whatsoever, you have this breath, you can be mindful. And that's something we're going to dive deeper into because mindfulness as a word has been quite popular these days. I think people use it as a practice for various reasons. I'm particularly curious about your own experience. What got you saying that this is something that I want to dive deeper into and this is something beneficial to me? Is there a trigger point in your life? Yeah, definitely because the, the retreat experience that I got, you know, really helped me a lot. As I mentioned in, earlier, so I got into uh, mindfulness uh, because I suffer from some emotional issues, you know, like I do, I didn't know how to work with my emotions. For example, you know, uh, sometimes it's a worriness, sadness, uh, and stress, and so on, and I couldn't sleep. So, uh, mindfulness meditation offer me a way on how to work with this emotion. Okay, so so from 
Then on, of course, my retreat experience that was very long. It, it was not easy at all at the beginning. So, but somehow after my second retreat, I start to uh, got a deeper understanding and have a, what we call practical experience on how we can bring our mind back to the present moment and how to calm the mind and to understand about the nature of the mind. So for no doubts, you know, I am very confident that it can help a lot of people because it had helped me a lot. Because before that, the mind was very messy, worried about the futures or thinking about the past, you know. So after I learned about mindfulness, I become more mindful, which means in a simple term, I was able to stay at the present moment, you know, and the mind become quite peaceful. And then when, for example, anger and worriness arises, I was able to notice it, you know, and then just observe it without, without following the thoughts or emotions. So this is something that uh, when you have got the experience, it, it gives you a lot of confidence in the Dharma. So when I, I said, when I had attended the eight weeks uh, secular mindfulness course, I think this is a brilliant way because if you have attended a retreat before, you know how difficult it could be, you know, especially become with you you go with the empty, empty mind is good. At the same time, you also have a lot of questions and a lot of confusions. And sometimes you have to figure out also eh, what does it mean by you know the different Buddhist term. So I would say the uh, secular mindfulness is a very good introduction. I just said it's an introduction to bring you to the door or maybe to have a taste of mindfulness. And then from then on, you know, after you have gained the technique uh, or learned the way, then if you want to go deeper and you are a Buddhist, then of course we are most welcome to do so. But at the mm -hmm. same time, when we are able to offer uh, secular mindfulness, it opens doors for more people. In fact, I read a report, I think a number of years ago, he said in America, there is more than 20%. I'm not sure how true is it, you know, more than 20% of the populations in, in America, they actually practice uh, meditation or, or maybe mindfulness in some way. This in no way, you know, in, in the history of humanity, this is something that never happened before. Because in the old time, of course, we have we do have a lot of meditators, but I think at this time, that at our time, is in which that more people start to aware about uh, mindfulness and meditations. And this is something that can help them, you know, in various ways. Mm, definitely. I also agree. I didn't know that meditation can be taught. So when my friend first asked me for my very first retreat, it was a weekend retreat. My first thought is, I thought just breathe only. Got so difficult. <laughs> just you don't close your eyes, right? Then when I started my very first retreat, it was under the Buddhist context. And wow, it was really like my eyes open, my the doors also open. And then I leaned closer to the Dhamma. Of course, we are not saying that meditation or getting people to learn mindfulness is a way to convert because it is, in a very circular sense, a good way to manage our emotions, like you mentioned. However, also, I think sometimes we run into the danger of saying, that Buddhist mindfulness is also like circular mindfulness because clearly there is a distinction and I believe not a lot of people know about that. So can you shed some light about this? Because you have gone through both paths, right? The circular and the Buddhist context. What's the difference between mindfulness in both? Okay. There are actually similarities and also differences. 
Okay, so uh, in uh, so-called uh, modern mindfulness circle, uh, the definition I normally use is this, okay? Mindfulness is about how to pay attention to your body, mind, and also sometimes including the environment, okay? With an attitude of curiosity and kindness, okay? It's about how you pay attention to your physical and emotional experience, if I had to say. Why do we include uh, uh, environment? Because sometimes, for example, I give you an example. A lot of time I was also not very mindful when I went to the, uh, uh, to the shopping mall and parked my car. Every time I make uh, 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 what we call, I took a pictures so that I can remember I, where I parked my car. Okay, because That's very I do smart. Not have... I always forget. Yeah. Also, <laughs> you see, so you see, my mindfulness, uh, in a way, in the Buddhist uh, terminology, we call it sati. Okay, sati, uh, S A T I. Sati can mean sati actually mean not forgetful or remembrance. Okay, so for example, after you park your car and then you was just so excited to go to the shopping mall. And you totally forgot where did you park your car. Okay, that is what we call absent-minded. Okay, absent-mindedness. Okay, so your mind is not fully present. So that because your mind is not fully present or you are not very mindful, so that you couldn't remember where did you park your car. Okay, so we need this in this way when we define mindfulness in this way as. Uh, uh, the ability to remember or and or sometimes we use a present moment mindfulness. These two, although they are not the same, but they are interrelated. Because your mind is not present, therefore, or you are not mindful. When we say mindful in English, okay, how do we understand? For example, when you we step down from the train, is it get up from the train? We say be mindful of your step, which means you need to be. Careful. It also has the meanings of carefulness and also mindfulness, isn't it? So this is how we use the term uh, mindfulness. In actually, whether it's uh, Buddhist mindfulness, sometimes we cannot call it Buddhist mindfulness to make it <laughs> uh, more correct because mindfulness does not belong to Buddhist Buddhism. You know, if you read the sutta, you will know that even the Buddha agree. You know. Mindfulness is an, a very important ability. For example, you, if you need to become a very successful person, like a businessman or the king, mindfulness is a very important, uh, uh, what we call a criteria that you need to have. That is, so I can't, I re, can't remember the sutta, but I'm very sure there is one sutta the Buddha mentioned about how to become a successful person. One of the quality is mindfulness. Okay, because we need mindfulness for almost everything. An example that I, I shared just now, parking the car, isn't it? If you do not have mindfulness and you become absent-minded, okay, then you have to spend a lot of time, you know, looking for your cars. Okay, so that is the meanings uh, of mindfulness. Let me remind, uh, re repeat again, not forgetfulness. And then uh, sometimes we call it, uh, sometimes... Uh, some teachers also uh, also say it's a present moment mindfulness, uh, present moment awareness. How are these two connected? Okay, I'll give you another example. 
similar to the parking car example, but maybe, okay, when you get home, you simply just put your handphone or mobile phone somewhere. Okay, because that time you are not fully present, so you couldn't remember where you have put your handphone, isn't it? So if you remember, for example, now I have my mobile with me here. I, at that time when I put my handphone, I was fully present. Okay, that is called present moment awareness. I'm clearly aware where I put my handphone. So after that, I can easily recall and remember where I put my handphone. Isn't it? So that is present moment awareness. The first thing, present moment awareness. For you to be able to recall where you have put your handphone, that ability to recall uh, is what sati means. Okay, because in Buddhist context, sati actually doesn't mean uh, present moment awareness. Okay, <laughs> one of my teachers, which is uh, who is a uh, venerable Akachita, okay, he defined mindfulness in four ways. Okay, using four R, four R. Okay, the first is remember. So for us to be able to remember, we need present moment mindfulness. Isn't it? If you're absent-minded, you are not able to remember. So remember is like happening at the present moment. But when we're talking about present moment, present, present moment has passed. Isn't it? Because time is like in this way. Isn't it? So the first R, uh, that is the first R, remember. Second is to remind. Okay? So especially in the practice of mindfulness, we to start with, we always have a meditation object, like the breath like the whole body awareness, okay? So at first, when we started to meditate, okay, we bring our attention to the breath or to our body, okay? After that, our mind starts to get wonders. So we have to remind ourselves to come back to the present moment, to remember your object, which is your breath or your whole body awareness. And then a lot of time, we become forgetful in daily life. Although we know we want to lead a mindful life, we want to be mindful on, if possible, everything that we do, brushing the teeth, walking, you know, on whatever daily, daily activity you do, that needs a lot of reminder, which means we, keep, we need to keep on reminding ourselves to bring our attention back to our body, back to observe the mind. So the second R, of mindfulness is to remind, okay? The third R is to recollect. Recollect, many times we use for something in the past, isn't it? Uh, which is true when we have mindfulness, we will be able to recollect. For example, to recollect where did you park your car? That is a recollection, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, the last R, which is to retrospect. Retro means to look back. Spec means to inspect. Why do we call it retrospect? Retrospect, as I mentioned, when we observe the thoughts, okay? Thought has already arisen. No, we're aware. There is something in the past. So we actually look back, but this is the immediate past. Of course, this has gone into very technical, but mindfulness does have this four meaning, very closely interrelated uh, meaning. I repeat the four R: remember, remind, okay, to uh, recollect and retrospect. 
Okay, these are the four R. So this give the meanings of mindfulness, if you like to say, in the Buddhist context. Okay, so but this, as you have, as we have understood, this four R, this is nothing to do with Buddhism. Okay, <laughs> this is nothing to do with any religion because this is the ability that you can say that we need this mindfulness for our daily, you know, any activity that we do. You know, we need this. Okay, but what makes Buddhist mindfulness different from secular mindfulness is what we call the right mindfulness. In Pali term, we call it samasati. Okay, so there is a right in front there. Eh? Of course, in the Buddhist text, there is also a wrong mindfulness. This is called a micca sati. Okay, so we, we may drive more into that. What is the difference between mindfulness and right mindfulness? What qualified we for us to call it right mindfulness? Right mindfulness, we cannot just talk about right mindfulness alone because right mindfulness have to be supported by the other seven noble path uh, factors. Okay? Uh, uh, do we call it factors? Noble path, uh, yeah. Eightfold path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, noble eightfold path, yes. But when we're talking about noble eightfold path, the noble path consists by eight elements, hmm. not eight different paths. Okay, so we have the right view, we have the right thought, sometimes we call it right intention, and then we have the right speech, right action, right livelihood, isn't it? And then we have the right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Okay, isn't it? These are the eight elements of the noble eightfold path. Therefore, we call it eightfold. Okay, path mm -hmm. is one path, not eight path. Okay, so the yes. path is consistent by eightfold. Okay, so when we're talking about right mindfulness, okay, so which means the Buddhist mind, if we really want to call it Buddhist mindfulness, then right mindfulness is Buddhist mindfulness. Okay, so right mindfulness need to have the base of right view. So what is right view? Right view is to understand about the four noble truths. Okay, so this will become a, a Buddhist lecture for me. Okay, <laughs> to understand about, in short, you know, what is suffering, what causes suffering, the causes of the cause of suffering, okay? And then the end of the suffering, there is a possibility to end the suffering and the path that is leading to the end of the suffering, okay? Which is the noble eightfold path. So right view, which means we see things in simple way based on the three characteristics. The first one is dukkha, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, okay? Even unsatisfactoriness or dukkha doesn't deny happiness. It just tells us even happiness itself is impermanence. Okay, we cannot have full control on what is happening because whatever things that is happening is all based on causes and condition. Okay, so that is what we call the uh, right understanding. So, for example, if we, if we like to distinguish between so-called uh, modern mindfulness and uh, Buddhist mindfulness, for enable you to practice Buddhist mindfulness, you need to have a very deep or very good knowledge 
not only theoretically, theoretically is the starting point, but you know, uh, uh, you can say that very deep knowledge or right understanding, you really truly understand what does the Buddhist call it, the right understanding. Right understanding is about how you look at things as impermanence, you know, everything also have the impermanent natures, we call it anicca. Everything also have the not-self nature, we call it anatta. What is not-self or non-self? Self or atta in Buddhism means you have full control. Okay, anatta means you do not have full control. Why do you do not have full control? Because things, or we call it the body and mind experience, uh, arises due to causes and conditions. I give you an example, very simple example. We know that we go, we grow older day by day. Okay, so the Buddha said, you know, uh, illness is sickness, old age is sickness, death is sickness, even birth is sickness. We we can't help but to face with impermanence. So when we get old and when we get sick, you get very frustrated and you cannot accept the so-called this reality of getting old or getting sick. That is what we call without right understanding. Okay, when we have right understanding, you are already mentally prepared for it. You have already know the body will get old, the body will get ill, the, the body will die. Okay, so this is right understanding. So mindfulness means to remember. You still remember? We define mindfulness as to remember, to, to remind yourself this is the reality of life. So when we are facing with this, we recall or we remind. So we need mindfulness to strengthen our right understanding. After we have this right understanding, then only possible we have right, right thoughts, which is the second noble path factors, or sometimes we call it right intention. So that you do not reject, you do not fight with what is happening. You know, just now I mentioned about the four physical aspect of the dukkha. And then we have another four aspect, which is a mental aspect, you know, not getting what you want. Okay. And then what else? Uh, not getting what you want and then getting facing with some, something that you don't want. Being parted from, uh, this like parted you have it from already. your loved one. Is it? Yes. Uh, so you, you bet <laughs> we can remember we learn all this from the Dharma class. But how does this understanding, uh, what we call, get rooted in our mind? We just learn it. Uh, we can even recite, we can memorize very well. Okay, but that is but not whether we internalize yeah, it's a different story. We, we didn't internalize it, we didn't embody it, we call it. So, of course, that is a process of learning because we know in Buddhism, when we want to develop a wisdom, there are three ways, you know, Sutta Manya Panya. We're reading from the books or we listen from the teachings by the great teachers, and then Chinta Manya Panya by reflection, and then Bhavana Manya Panya, which is by meditation. So we internalize it. So when we practice Buddhist meditation or Buddhist mindfulness meditation, one of the way is to remind and remember when we are facing with pain or thoughts, you know, we are not chasing it away. We develop this understanding that thoughts arises because of cause and condition. So that 
once we have understood it, we bring in right understanding or right view, samaditi, you know, into our practice. When we have right understanding, then right thoughts as a result. Right thought is what? The thoughts of ahimsa, okay? Which means in a simple term, it's the thoughts of loving kindness, the thoughts of acceptance. We do not reject. We do not uh, afraid, okay? We do not create amity uh, with what is happening, which means in simple term, we do not reject. So, which means it's a kindness and curiosity. We need kindness, curiosity. We need acceptance. We need non-judgmental awareness. Although in secular mindfulness, we do not explicitly use the term, you know, uh, right thoughts. But in fact, what they are developed, what we are trying to develop is the quality of right thought. But mm. because in the secular context, we cannot bring in the Buddhist mm. concept of right mindfulness, like anicca, dukkha, anatta. So if you are a Buddhist practitioner, or and at the same time, you are a mindfulness teacher. Of course, there are various skillful means we can introduce this concept in a non-Buddhist way. Okay, so mm -hmm. I always tell my student: so when you observe an emotion, that you just know that the emotions are just a temporary phenomena. The emotions are changing. Is it? This is not permanent. And then you cannot control emotion because emotion arises due to cause and condition. So, you know, even they are Buddhist or non-Buddhist, you know, they can understand this basic concept. Okay? So it's just I think sometimes when, you, when we package in a religious context, people are, are less receptive, even though it's beneficial to them. I, I think without getting into too much technicalities of the Noble Eightfold Path, because I'm pretty sure that's another lecture altogether, uh, please attend Dr. Kaking's, uh, you know, <laughs> what's it called? Talk, Dhamma Talks as well as a lesson if you want a full course, but if I were to understand, to simplify, I think the importance of understanding the difference between circular and Buddhist mindfulness is really the motivation and the intention. You brought out Noble Eightfold Path, right? That is the path to enlightenment, which is freedom from suffering. And I suppose not everyone wants to meditate to gain enlightenment, but they want to meditate to be free from some kind of affliction, to be uh, more peaceful, to have less anger, to be able to concentrate. So I guess that's where packaging it in a more circular form would make it more palatable. But for listeners who are interested to go beyond that, to say, okay, now I'm, I have the, the right concentration already, uh, I have right mindfulness, I can do the 4R, then what is next. Uh, of course, we always say what's next. We want to become, become. That's also part of the, the learning, right? How do we uh, have the right intention to renounce, uh, let go of becoming or non-becoming, which is a separate lecture altogether. So am I right to say, if we were to put it in brief, the Buddhist mindfulness, even though we say right mindfulness, uh, doesn't mean that circular mindfulness is wrong, but it's really because it stems from, like you say, foundation of morality. So uh, can we have our virtue? Because it will affect our meditation, right? Whether our mind is calm, did we do bad things, then it would you know, keep repeating in our head. Uh, then also with the right mindfulness, it would help to allow us see things clearer with wisdom. So it fits, which is a very beautiful cycle. I think Buddha was a genius. And in, in this context, it's really about practicing right mindfulness to be completely free from suffering. Is that a right way to understand? Yes, yes, it's true. As you said, 
what is the major difference between the Buddhist mindfulness and secular mindfulness? Uh, one, one of these is the motivation. Of course, uh, the highest aim for Buddhists is the final liberation or Dibbana. But as you said, that is the highest aim. Doesn't mean that, you know, the lower aims, which is like stress reduction, to be more happy is wrong. Okay, because the Buddhist, the Buddha, in fact, in the Sutta also mentioned one of the fruits or benefits of mindfulness and clear comprehension, Sati and Sambhajanya, is the present life happiness. Okay, we actually no need to go beyond uh, the present life if you do not believe in rebirth, for example. That is also you can feel the benefit itself right here and right now, which is the uh, uh, reduction or uh, uh, you know or uh, uh, of suffering. Okay, so it may not be leads to the end of the suffering, but it's a temporary end of suffering. Okay, so yeah. in this uh, in this way. Even in the secular mindfulness, we have this motivation and intention. Want to be more happy, you know, want to be more calm, and then want, want to be more peaceful. So there is there's nothing wrong in the way. So as you have pointed out, although we say there is a right mindfulness and the wrong mindfulness, which is michasati, what, what michasati means doesn't mean it's a morally wrong. It's just that this is not the right mindfulness, not the right mindfulness that will lead you to the final aims. Okay, so for example, when we practice the uh, secular mindfulness for stress reduction, for preventing recurrent depression, uh, uh, depression, or to for developing emotional intelligence or enable leadership, this is not wrong. Okay. But, but it would be wrong if I because I, I hear this analogy before, it would be wrong if you practice mindfulness, if you use it to do something unwholesome. Because even burglars, they are very mindful, right? Like, wow, well, I have to walk very slowly, they have to pay attention, remember, okay, which passcode, where to enter the door, etc. But precisely well, when we say right mindfulness, it stems from ethics uh, and morality. So I I suppose it's okay if it's wholesome because it's stress reduction is pretty wholesome. <laughs> Yes, yes, you are right. Yeah, definitely. If you are doing this as you, you know, doing some unwholesome thing with mindfulness, that is definitely called wrong mindfulness. Okay. <laughs> but if you just do it for uh, so-called like uh, to become more happy, you know, to develop your skill, then that is uh, wholesome mindfulness. We call it wholesome mindfulness. Mm. Oh, you because even like to relax, right? Yeah, because it related to some wholesome quality of the mind. Okay. So mm. that, that is the differences, as you point out. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm wondering, right? Some people tell me that, hey, you know, cooking is meditation for me or uh, eating, singing and swimming. So they have all these different activities which they define as meditative. So can you actually practice mindfulness without formally meditating? Yes, definitely. Eh? Whether in the, in the Buddhist way or in the secular way, we always... Uh, encourage people, especially mindfulness practitioners, to bring in or to integrate their mindfulness into their daily life. As you said, when you are cooking, when you are walking, when you are eating, so you bring you know, the present moment awareness. You can say it when we say present moment awareness, it's also involved some, it's also includes some mental focus. Isn't it? We become more Focus. Focus in a way is not like one pointedness focus, okay? But 
you are fully aware on what is happening while we are cooking. You are fully present. You know, you're aware that your whole body is standing, your whole body is sitting. So that is in the Satipatthana Sutta. Okay. Or some uh, people part, say in the flow. <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah, you can say in the flow. In the flow is more to uh, dynamic meditation, okay, or dynamic mm. concentration, which means your mind is fully uh, focused, but that actually doesn't mean it's a mindfulness. It's just a result of mindfulness. There is a difference mm. between mindfulness and mental focus. Okay, mental focus is the result of mindfulness. So there okay. needs to be some form of effort, la. like I deliberately be mindful and aware of, of my cooking rather than, oh, you know, I'm just so absorbed in the cooking itself. Yes, Is that yes, correct? you are right. Deliberate awareness. So for, for it to call it mindfulness, most of the time we need this uh, deliberate, deliberate attention. Okay. So mm. mindfulness needs to be cultivate, cultivated and developed. It's not something you are born with that. Okay. <laughs> what we are born <laughs> is... Not mindful because you always forget. Distracted, okay? yeah. yeah. Uh, people's attention stand very, very short also. Yes, yes. And I'm wondering then if you say all this can be meditative, right? And we can cultivate in our daily life. Is there a benefit to just sit like formal meditation, close your eyes on a cushion? Of course. Uh, before, you can actually integrate your mindfulness very effectively in your daily life. I would say the formal practice is the foundation. When you have, because in formal practice, you see, when we do sitting meditation or standing meditation or walking meditation, we are in, a, if you like to say, is in a protected environment, which is more conducive, isn't it? And you are sitting still, okay? So you, you will be able to be more mindful. You know, your mindfulness have a shorter gaps. Okay, so after we have developed this and then after we open our eyes and then continue with our daily activities, so that will be easier. Rather than you say, oh, I just do daily mindfulness is enough. But when I ask you to sit, then you are not able to sit still. Okay, which means your mindfulness, uh, the foundation is not strong. So we need actually both. One, we call it a formal practice. One, we call it informal practice. And the best thing is to combine both. If you can do formal practice like 10 to 15 minutes or even longer per day, and then you can see the differences between, you know, just do daily mindfulness. Okay. So both uh, supporting each other. Yeah, I completely agree. Based on personal experience as well, when I started going for longer retreat, then you... I really got the opportunity to get to a point where my mind is still because sometimes, you know, when I try to be mindful in day-to-day -day life, no foundation, then still want to be still. Wow, it's very easy to get agitated. But once I get past uh, that stage, I, I think it's also the faith and confidence, right? Well, it's possible. Whatever the Buddha said, this is this is true. And that's uh, when I experience it by myself, then, you know, uh, move beyond, go uh, closer and closer to something that is more integrated day-to-day -to -day life. I think that's a lot more practical rather than just jumping straight into the battlefield. <laughs> yes, yeah. as you said, you know, so one of the quality of the Dharma, you know, as we recite is a veritable, uh, 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 is to experience individually by oneself. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So People cannot that, meditate that on your behalf or so. It, yeah, and then it's, uh, it makes you more confident. It's not only about a book knowledge or about something that we read, okay? It's about something that we can truly experience. For example, eh, 
when we read the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the uh, the discourse on the establishment of mindfulness, okay. So when you read that, the Buddha give a verse instruction on how to develop your mindfulness. One of these will mm-hmm. be be mindful when you are standing, be mindful when you are sitting, be mindful when you are walking, you know, and be mindful when you are lying down. Okay, it's specifically mentioned in in the sutta itself. And then we have a session on on clear awareness or clear comprehension. That is about uh, mindfulness in daily activities. You know, be mindful or be fully aware when you are turning your head. You know, be be fully aware when you are putting on your robes. If you are a monk, well, lay people will be putting on your t-shirt, isn't it? So on everything that we do, or even when you speak, when you go to toilet. So these are actually mentioning in the sutta. So when you practice it and you feel that, oh, it's true. Previously, I always do this activity without mindfulness. Now, I do it with mindfulness. doesn't mean you have to do it very slowly to get me right. <laughs> I was going to okay? say that. <laughs> so you just have to remind and remember, oh, when you walk, you know, you can feel that your mind is more stable. Okay, that is the quality of, we call it samadhi. Isn't it? Mm. Huh? The, you can call it uh, composure. Okay, your mind become more composed and more stable. And you feel it, when you feel it and you experience it, then you want to do it more because you, in a way, we like this experience. It's no wrong to write, like this experience because you find that your mind become more peaceful. You know, you become more aware. You become less uh, agitated, you know. And then this is what prompted you to practice more. That is mm-hmm. what we call to practice the Dharma in daily life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes the litmus test is just when you walk into the kitchen, do you remember why you go into the kitchen? <laughs> I know sometimes also open a fridge, hey, what I want to take, huh? why am I here? <laughs> so that, that means no, no mindfulness already. Yes, so and, when we are aware, we are not mindful, that is mindfulness. So we keep on, you know, notice that how our mind get uh, into absent-mindedness, isn't it? Uh, get absent-minded. Right. And then, then we, that is awareness. So keep, so do not afraid to be not mindful. The more that you aware that you are not mindful, that is mindfulness. That is a way on keep on our practice. Yeah. Wow, that is so powerful because I know sometimes when, like, say I'm absent-minded, then I keep telling myself, "Why am I so absent-minded?" <laughs> then it can be quite demoralizing, and I would kind of throw in the towel, right? You reminded me of a saying by Sharon Salzberg. So she's also a very prominent meditation teacher. She said, "The moment that you are aware that your mind has drifted." She called that the magic moment because in that moment, you have a choice whether to bring the mind back or whether to continue wondering. And having that choice is so powerful. So uh, I thought, I actually wanted to ask you the question, you know, how to sustain a practice, but I thought this is something really interesting to keep reminding ourselves, hey, you know, it's part of a journey. The, the fact that I'm aware, I'm progressing, I'm progressing, I'm progressing. Yeah, I would like to kind of summarize or like end of this session or episode with you by asking you if there is any way to know whether we are progressing besides what you have just mentioned so that we we can feel a little bit more encouraged and find some yardsticks or milestones along the way. Yeah, this is a very good question. In fact, this is the yardstick that we should measure our progress on mindfulness meditation. It's not how long you are able to sit, okay? How much uh, fantastic experience you are able to experience, okay? It's not about that, okay? Because these are all 
temporarily and momentary. After you had that experience, so blissful, so mindful, <laughs> and then you are looking for more, isn't it? And then there is a grit in there, okay? So the real yastic is to see how much our grit, hatred, and delusion is getting less and less. And then more wisdom, more compassion, more peaceful and calm, calm you are, okay? You can ask the people around you or your family member, they will tell you, okay? Family ask member, usually accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is how we can measure our progress, okay? is you know, uh, when we encounter with problems, previously we will get mad, okay? We will get very worried, okay? Now, because... We, we, we are more mindful, we are more mentally ready and we have this right view and right, uh, right thoughts, okay? So our defilement getting less and less, you know, which means you become less greedy, okay? Less, uh, less anxious and then, uh, yeah, and so on, okay? That, that is the real yastic that you can measure your progress. And I suppose that's also the Buddhist way, right? Because I've seen so many circular mindfulness meditation centers or teacher, I'm not going to name names, but sometimes the, the draw is that, oh, you, you will be able to get these magical experiences or perhaps it will be, make you become more successful, etc. Not wrong. I think we need all of this to function in our very conventional material life uh, to succeed, etc. But if we can understand that all these are fleeting and transient, then we can move past that. So we'll still have our corporate success or our worldly success, but we can also uh, sustain the real happiness within, which I thought is very powerful. So thanks for clarifying that misconception that it's not just clocking the hours because uh, I used to be that person. Just like, wow, I start meditation already. How long can I see it? Then a lot of willpower, but more and more hatred towards myself. It's like, hey, how come the mind not still, etc. So when I also first heard lesser greed, hatred, and delusion, then wow, it's such a brain or mind shift moment because I realized I've been doing it wrong all this time. So I guess that very, very nicely wraps up. And I hope that's also a good takeaway for our listeners who are just beginning or even advanced meditators, a good reminder. So practice the four hours in our day-to-day -day life. Remember, remind. remind, recollect, and retrospect. Yes, I have a little bit of mindfulness throughout the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ka King. Is there any other things you'd like to say to our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, whether you practice uh, secular mindfulness or Buddhist mindfulness, please continue, okay? Please don't give it up, okay? Because uh, I can see mindfulness can really be very helpful and useful in any context, okay? So when you need to give a public speech, okay, you need to give a corporate presentation, you need, you know, a very calm and mindful mind as well on whatever thing that you do. So please continue and I hope uh, to see you again in future. Yes, definitely. And do search up uh, Dr. Ka King if you want to find out more about the Noble Eightfold Path or how to get started with the techniques of meditation. Today is really just a teaser. There's so much more. So more links in the show notes as well as resources thank you for listening and meanwhile stay happy and wise thank you thank you